here we are. We are in the middle of this very perspective-changing chapter, very eye-opening. From a work as spiritual as the Tanya, which would make us think that it would be all about love and all about fear and the sublime emotions that we're supposed to have. And what the Alter Rebbe is saying in this chapter is let's look at that verse in the Torah that the whole Tanya came to explain. And that was, that this matter is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. That you may do it is essential over here. The most important thing is the actual practical fulfillment of the mitzvah. And it seems like, why? Why would that be? And their Alter Rebbe started to explain that ultimately the way the Shekhinah is manifest is specifically through a mitzvah. A mitzvah is something that has no side agenda. There's no other entity besides Hashem in a mitzvah. And in that way, we allow the Shekhinah to be totally manifest through the act of a mitzvah. Last class, we explored that when a person does a mitzvah, what gets absorbed into the light of Hashem? So there was the divine soul that gets absorbed into the light of Hashem. And there was the power of the animal soul that impels the mitzvah. That too gets totally subsumed within the divine light, just like the divine soul itself. And that means that it even has an effect on the body. Because when you look at a person, you don't say, oh, I see a body that houses a soul. That's not how it is. The soul fuses so completely with the body that they become one entity. So when a person does a mitzvah and the divine light, the Shekhinah, is manifest upon the animal soul, the totality of the animal soul, you know what else it's manifest upon? The totality of the body. Because the body and the animal soul are so fused that they're one at this point. When you look at a living being, you see a living being. And that's because body and soul are one. The energy that vivifies the body obviously affects the body. When the Shekhinah is manifest above the totality of the animal soul, it means it's also manifest above the totality of the body. But we have a problem here. And we're on page 11 if you printed out the booklet. We have a problem here. And that's because we know the Benoni is essentially different than the Tzaddik. The Benoni is different is that he, in, that, in that he will never be able to utterly transform the essence of his animal soul. He will always have those struggles. The essence of the animal soul will always remain somewhat evil. So how could the Shekhinah rest above the body when it is being vivified by an animal soul that has not been transformed. And this is what the Alter Rebbe now goes on to explain. The top of page 11. Although the substance and essence of the animal soul in his heart, meaning its evil midot, its evil emotional character, have still not been absorbed into holiness. As explained in chapter 12, only in the case of tzaddikim are the evil midot, 
the evil emotional character themselves transformed into holiness. In others, only the animal soul's garments, its faculties of expression by means of which a mitzvah is accomplished, are absorbed into holiness, not the midot, which constitutes the animal soul's essence. Nevertheless, this fact does not prevent the light of the Shekhinah from suffusing the entire body, as the Alter concludes shortly. So this is a powerful, deep insight that the Tanya brings to our attention. And that is, most of us will never be perfect on our inside. Most of us will have this struggle that we will not be able to resolve. That doesn't make us a hypocrite. That makes us somebody with the potential of being a Benoni. Somebody who has these impulses, these desires, these thoughts that pop into their head that are not okay. It doesn't make us a hypocrite. It makes us somebody who has to struggle. It means that we have to be careful that every thought, every behavior, every word that we say is perfectly in line with the right way. But our essential character, the things that come into us, that's okay if they're not perfect. For most of us, that's the way that's going to be. That doesn't make us a hypocrite. And that's who the Benoni is. Somebody who can totally control his thoughts, which is huge, totally control his speech, and totally can control his actions, but he cannot control the essence of his animal soul. There's a story of, I think it was two sons of the Tzamach Tzedek. This is the third Chabad Rebbe, the grandson of the Balhatanya. They were once discussing some issue in the Talmud, and they were trying to resolve it, and their father walked in. And their father helped them resolve the issue. And then he said, wow, I haven't thought about this idea in 35 years. So his son said, the most amazing part of this story is not that my father was able to give a clear resolution of the Talmud on a thought that he said he didn't think about for 35 years. The most amazing part of the story is that my father knew every single thought that he had for the last 35 years, and he could tell you that this is not one of them. So this is a tzaddik, but even a benoni is supposed to have and has the ability to have control over his thoughts. But the essential nature of his animal soul, he doesn't have control. So how is it that the Shekhinah is manifest even upon the totality of the body and the totality of the animal soul while they remain essentially corrupt? Yet because they, the evil midot, are subjugated to holiness, and against their will they say amen, agreeing and acceding to the performance of the mitzvah. So what happens during the mitzvah? During the mitzvah, the divine soul takes control. It makes this mitzvah happen. When it makes this mitzvah happen, that means it harnesses the power of the animal soul and the animal soul agrees to do it, either in a way of coercion, it's forced. So the terms that Alter Rebbe uses over here is subjugated to the holiness and against their will, they say amen. He uses two different terms that they're subjugated and against their will, they say amen, or they actually agree and accede to the performance of the mitzvah. So In any case, they're on board. Either they're on board 
huffing and puffing, not wanting to do it, but doing it anyway. So they're subjugated. They're under the control of the divine soul or they actually agree. Now, actually agreeing happens to a lot of us, meaning for many people, there are certain mitzvahs that even their animal soul is on board. It's not just a sadik. All of us have those special mitzvahs that we already convinced our animal soul that this is great and our animal soul willingly will do the mitzvah. And then there are those mitzvahs that the animal soul doesn't want to do, but it does it anyway because the divine soul took control, overpowered the animal soul. How does it do that? Through the strengthening of the divine soul in the brain, which masters the heart. As discussed in chapter 12, and this was brought down from the Zohar, although the emotions of the Benoni have not been transformed into good, he nevertheless has the power to control them by means of his mind. The principle is every single person has control of mind over heart. This is what the Zohar says. The mind rules over the heart through contemplating God's greatness. In this way, the Benoni can direct his heart as he chooses insofar as the actual performance of the mitzvot is concerned. And at that time, and the evil midot, the evil emotional character are at the same time when one exercises the natural mastery of the brain over the heart by contemplating God's greatness in a state of exile and sleep, meaning they're impotent, as mentioned above in chapter 12. So during the mitzvah, these powers of the animal soul are exiled, they are asleep. What does it mean exiled or what does it mean asleep? When someone is in exile, they don't have control over their behavior. They are forced to serve somebody else. And yet there is no change within them. It's not like they now pledge allegiance to the opponent. They don't pledge allegiance to the opponent, but their powers are used to serve the opponent. And a similar idea happens during sleep. There's no essential change during sleep, but a person is not able to use his conscious powers during sleep. So this is what's happening to the Benoni during the act of the mitzvah. His animal soul is asleep, is in exile. There's no essential change, but it cannot use its powers other than to serve the divine soul. Now let's look at all these interesting terminologies that the altar of a used over here and let's stop to analyze them a little bit because we can just run through the words but they actually allude to something much deeper first of all we said that during the performance of the mitzvah the animal souls evil midot are a subjugated to holiness and b against their will they say amen and c agree and D, a seed. So we have four ideas here. Subjugated to holiness. Against their will, they say amen. Agree. And a seed. We can divide these four ideas into two general categories. So we're going to divide them into two general categories. And that is subjugated. And against their will, they say amen. This is a manner of being forced. And then agreeing and acceding. This is a manner of already being on board. But then the altar brings two other ideas. And that is, he talks about sleep and exile. What's the difference between 
All those four ideas of being forced and agreeing against their will or even agreeing and acceding, let's put that in one category. And then the next category would be exile and sleep. The difference is that those powers that either agree or are forced of the animal soul to do the mitzvah are awake and conscious and acting in the mitzvah. But then there's a part of the animal soul that is not consciously doing the mitzvah. There's a part of the animal soul that is actually just out of the way. It's sleeping. It's an exile. It's just not there. Now, the, it's there. It's not that it's not there. It's there, but it has no voice at all. It's not consciously felt. So these are ideas that we can read into by looking carefully at the Alter Rebbe's terminology and realizing what's going on in the act of a mitzvah. So in the act of a mitzvah, the divine soul is harnessing the power of the animal soul. That power that it harnesses is totally absorbed within the divine light. Then there is still a ray of light that comes to the entire uh, animal soul as the Alter Rebbe is going to explain. Ulekach. Therefore, this incorrigible nature of the animal soul's evil midot does not prevent the Shekhinah from resting upon one's body at this time because they are out of the way, because they do not oppose the mitzvah, and actually, quite to the contrary, they power the mitzvah, they are not in the way of the Shekhinah resting above the body at this time. The Alter Rebbe now goes on to explain how it is possible for one mitzvah to draw the Shekhinah upon one's entire body. So one thing we learn over here is the power of a mitzvah. We don't even fathom the incredible power that a mitzvah has to draw down the divine Shekhinah, the divine presence, over the totality of our animal soul, over the totality of the body. There's a story of a chassid. Rabbi Yaakov Mordechai Bespalov was a Rav in Poltava. His father, Reb Nissen, was a wealthy businessman, and he was a chassid, and he was not so happy that his son was very interested in just learning all day and not that interested in business, and he complained to the Rebbe Maharash, the fourth Chabad Rebbe, and he said, what's going to be with my son? Is he going to grow up to be a batlan, a good-for-nothing? And he said, don't worry, your son is going to be employed as a rab. They're going to give him a respectable salary of 20 rubles, even 25 rubles, even more. And that's what happened prophetically. He was hired as the Rav of Poltava. They started him off with a decent salary of 20 rubles. Then they raised his salary to 25. Eventually they raised it to 30. This Rav was so careful not to become entrenched in materialism that for 30 years, he slept on a bench. He didn't sleep in a bed. And I'm not recommending this to everybody, but this was his way of serving Hashem. He slept on a bench so that he shouldn't become entrenched in materialism. He didn't live a long life. He passed away at the age of 60. Before he passed away, he said, like regretfully, that he slept on a bench for 30 years, but it would be more precious to him to get to put on tefillin just one more time than all those 30 years that he slept on a bench. He realized the power of a mitzvah. It's nice to be careful to stay away from materialism. It's nice to sleep on a bench for 30 years, but it's not worth it if it's going to make you have one last, less chance of putting on tefillin.
Okay, so the Alter Rebbe now goes on to explain how it is possible for one mitzvah to draw the Shechid upon one's entire body. Dehainu. This resting of the Shekhinah means that the power of the animal soul clothed in the act that constitutes the mitzvah, meaning the power in the hand donning the tefillin, is actually absorbed into the divine light and merges with it in perfect unity. Thereby, one draws a ray of the light wherein the particular power has been absorbed upon the totality of the animal soul throughout the body and upon the entire body as well. So because the animal soul is generating this power to perform the mitzvah, something happens to the totality of the animal soul. That specific power is absorbed, completely absorbed, fused within the divine light. But upon the totality of the animal soul, a ray of light is drawn down. But this is in a different way than it is drawn down upon the divine soul and upon the power of the animal soul that propels the mitzvah. When it comes to the divine soul, when it comes to the power of the animal soul that is actually within the mitzvah, that is totally fused with the divine light. But when it comes to the totality of the animal soul, when it comes to the totality of the body, the way is like this. This ray of divine light illuminates one's animal soul and his body in a manner of encompassing from above, surrounding them from head to foot. So generally in Hasidic terminology, we'll find these two terms, makif and pnimi, encompassing and internal. When something is encompassing, it is in a way of aloofness, separateness, something that is not recognized or felt. An example for this would be light, sunlight that comes into a room. The sunlight comes into the room. The whole room is lit up. But the room itself does not become a luminous room. If you close the shades, if you block out the sunlight, the room is dark. And that's because the sunlight did not affect the room to the extent that the walls themselves are shining. It's there, it's present, but it is in a way of aloofness, apartness. It doesn't have an internal effect. Something that has an internal effect, a classic example would be Torah study. Or when a person studies Torah, something of an internal change happens to them. They feel it. They understand it. There's something going on that makes it relevant to them that they absorb it within themselves. That would be internal. But when something is encompassing, it is aloof. It is a part. You cannot even feel it. Now, the effect of the mitzvah is the same for everybody. Whether a person is a great tzaddik and they understand what's going on and they feel it and they're cognizant of it, or a person is totally clueless, both of these people are experiencing during the act of a mitzvah manifestation of the Shekhinah upon their body and upon their animal soul in a way of encompassing. And this reminds me of a story where the chassid Remendel Futterfas, Remendel Futterfas was a chassid of the previous generation who went through unbelievable torture in Russia, Siberia, a very strong and optimistic man. And he, he relates that when he was a young yeshiva student, he watched the great chassid, Reb Itcha the Masmid, davening, praying. Now, Reb Itcha the Masmid was a legend. 
The previous Rebbe said about him, he's a Benoni, just the real thing. So Rebbe Itcher the Master would study like 18 hours a day. Now when he would dive and he would get so excited that he would pace and he would clap his hands. And this didn't seem to be the Chabad way. So the Chassid, Rebbe Mendel Futterfass, was criticizing this great Chassid to his friends. And he was saying, where's his intellectual restraint? Why is he showing so much emotion when he prays? And his mentor overheard him and he told him off. And he said, if you would experience what Reb Itcha the Masmid experiences during his davening, you would be dancing on the rooftops. His self-control is more than any of our self-control. Let me tell you a story of the Rebbe Maharash. The Rebbe Maharash would go visit the gravesite of his father, the Tzamach Tzedek. Nobody was with him at that time, except for his non-Jewish wagon driver who was sworn to secrecy. Now, the Hasidim wanted a little bit more insight to what goes on when he prays at the gravesite of his father. So they gave the wagon driver a bottle of vodka until his tongue was loose, and they asked him, what's it like when you take the Rebbe to the cemetery? He said, oh, I don't understand your Rebbe. As we approach the cemetery, he's trembling. When we get there, he is so overcome with awe. I cannot understand. I'm also going to the cemetery, and I'm not afraid at all. <laughs> of course you're not afraid at all. You don't see what he sees. It's a totally different experience. So here, when we have this mitzvah action going on, we experience a manifestation of the Shekhinah. Not just within our divine soul and within the power of the animal soul that powers the mitzvah, but there's a manifestation of the Shekhinah that takes over the totality of the body. The, Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe says, from head to foot. The totality of the body, the totality of the animal soul. Do we feel it? It's in an encompassing manner. It's in a different way than the actual power that's absorbed within the mitzvah, within the light of Hashem. So now the altar is going to explain the exact terminology of the Yanuka. The, the young child quoted in the Zohar was very precise in his words. V'zehu she'kasov sharya al al daika. This explains the expression appearing in the passage from the Zohar, quoted at the beginning of this chapter. The Shekhinah rests upon his head, specifically upon, meaning encompassing him from above. V'chein akol be'asara sharia, And in a similar vein, the expression upon every assembly of 10 Jews, the Shekhinah rests. Again, it's upon it means that the light of the divine presence does not permeate them, but illuminates them from above. So we really discussed various levels of the resting of the Shekhinah. And if we would read the chapter from beginning to end, we might suddenly be confused. Because the chapter started off quoting the Yanuka saying, that the wise man's eyes are in his head. He was talking about the verse from Kohelas, from Shlomo HaMelech, that the wise man's eyes are in his head, that he constantly pays attention to the Shekhinah that's resting on his head. So we're talking about the Shekhinah anyway resting on a person's head. And then we're saying that the indwelling of the Shekhinah happens specifically through a mitzvah. So what's going on over here? Are we confused? You always have to wear a yarmulke because the Shekhinah always rests upon your head. A Jewish man always has to wear a yarmulke because the Shekhinah always rests upon a Jewish person's head. 
But then we're saying to experience the indwelling of the Shekhinah, you need a mitzvah. So let's look at the different ideas presented in this chapter and categorize them. We started off with the idea of love and fear. Do these cause the indwelling of the Shekhinah? And the answer are, insofar as love and fear are sublime spiritual feelings towards Hashem, they are not channels to manifest the Shekhinah. Now, as a side note, love and fear as they are a mitzvah, are a mitzvah like everything else. And love and fear that are a mitzvah do cause the indwelling of the Shekhinah. It's just the love and fear that are a mitzvah are a very basic grade of love and fear. They're the love and fear that get you to do the mitzvah. They're not those sublime spiritual emotions. They're the ones that just enough to get you to do the mitzvah. So that basic love and fear do have an indwelling of the Shekhinah. Not as great as a practical mitzvah, because a practical mitzvah takes it all the way down to the physical body. But let's just talk as let's just talk about love and fear as they are sublime spiritual feelings. That does not bring the manifestation of the Shekhinah at all. Then we had this very interesting idea that the Alter Rebbe brought in chapter 6. The Alter Rebbe was discussing the idea of holiness. And this is what the Alter Rebbe writes. He writes, For the, the holy side is nothing but the indwelling and extension of the holiness of the Holy One, blessed be He. And He dwells only on such a thing that abnegates itself completely to Him either actually, as in the case of angels above, or potentially, as in the case of every Jew down below, having the capacity to abnegate himself completely to the Holy One, blessed be he, through martyrdom for the sanctification of God. So here's an idea. Every single Jewish person is holy. Why? Because he has this potential of totally relinquishing life, of giving up his soul to sanctify Hashem's name. Because he has this power of Mesiras Nefesh, sanctifying Hashem's name, he therefore is inherently holy. And then we have the holiness that we discuss in this chapter. And that is the holiness of Torah and mitzvahs. A person studies Torah, they draw down the Shekhinah upon their divine soul and its clothing of thought and speech. A person does a practical mitzvah, they draw down the Shekhinah upon their divine soul and its garments, upon the power of the animal soul that propels the mitzvah, and even upon the totality of the animal soul and the totality of the body. So there are levels. That's what it comes out. There's a basic level of the Shekhinah resting upon every single Jewish person. But that radical manifestation of the Shekhinah that pervades all levels of our existence, including even causing the Shekhinah to rest upon the totality of our body and animal soul, that is specifically through a mitzvah. So not to confuse, but actually to clarify, because we're talking about all these different ideas and then we come to wonder, well, how does it come to play? We're talking about the ultimate here. In this chapter, we're talking about the ultimate manifestation of the Shekhinah. We're talking about Hashem wanted a dwelling place in this world down below. He wanted His Shekhinah to permeate everything, to pervade everything, the lowest levels of existence. That only happens specifically through 
a practical mitzvah. A practical mitzvah draws the Shekhinah down upon the totality of our animal soul, the totality of our body. Heretofore, various levels in the resting of the Shekhinah have been discussed. As it rests upon the divine soul, upon the specific faculty of the animal soul that performs the mitzvah, upon the animal soul as a whole, and upon the body, the latter two only encompassed by, but not permeated with, the light of the Shekhinah. As to the light of the Shekhinah, encompassing the body, within this level, we find further subdivisions. That level which is the effect of a mitzvah, that which is encompasses any gathering of ten Jews, even when not engaged in a mitzvah. And perhaps we may distinguish yet another level, that which rests upon even one individual Jew, even when he is not occupied with a mitzvah. So we are looking at so many levels and ways that the Shekhinah manifests. And that could be confusing. The Prophet Malachi says, Ani Hashem Shanisi, I Hashem have not changed. The Rambam in describing Hashem's oneness talks about Hashem's oneness as being a oneness that doesn't exist anywhere else. He says, and this is from Hilchas Yisaydi HaTair chapter 1, Halacha 7. He is not one in the manner of a general category, which includes many individual entities, nor one in the way that the body is divided into different portions and dimensions. Rather, he is unified and there exists no unity similar to his in the world. Meaning that when we speak about Hashem, there is no concept of multiplicity or differentiation. Hashem is a simple oneness. So how are we talking about all these different levels of manifestation of the Shekhinah? The Shekhinah is manifest within each and every Jewish person that does a mitzvah. The Shekhinah is manifest to varying degrees within that person. What does this mean? The Alter Rebbe now goes on to state that this variety of levels at which the Shekhinah becomes manifest does not indicate any change or plurality in its light, God forbid. The variety means merely that the different objects of light, the divine soul, the animal soul, the body, and so on, receive it in different ways. In the Alter Rebbe's words, Vihine, Kol bechinas hamshachas or hashchina, shehi bechinas giloi or ein saif barachu. None of these various forms in which the light of the Shekhinah is manifested, meaning the ways in which the Ein Sof light is revealed. God the Ein Sof is everywhere. It is only that he is concealed from his creatures. Thus, the uniqueness of the manifestation of the Shekhinah lies in the revelation of the Shekhinah. Hashem is everywhere, right? The Navi Yashai says, The whole earth is filled with his glory. The Zohar says, There is no space devoid of him. Hashem is everywhere. What's the uniqueness of the manifestation of the Shekhinah is that the Shekhinah is revealed. It's everywhere, but where is it revealed? There's the famous story of the Katzka Rebbe who asked his students, where is Hashem? And they said, what do you mean, where is Hashem? Hashem is everywhere. And he said, Hashem is wherever you let him in. So yes, Hashem is everywhere. But where is Hashem manifest? Hashem is manifest where there is a total abnegation to him. Hashem is manifest where the truth that there is nothing else besides Hashem comes to shine. And that is in the act of a mitzvah. None of these various forms can be construed as a change in himself or as a plurality. The fact that the Shekhinah manifests itself at some point, meaning in one soul through the performance of a mitzvah, whereas it had previously not been manifest, does not point to any change in God, 
nor do the various forms of manifestation indicate plurality within him. As we find in the Tractate Sanhedrin, where it is recorded that a certain heretic said to Rabban Gamliel, You say that the Shekhinah rests on every assembly of ten. How many Shekhinahs have you? So you're saying every time there's a minion, the Shekhinah rests. Oh yeah? So how many Shekhinahs do you have? And what did Rabban Gamliel answer him? And Rabbi Gamliel replied with an analogy of the sun's light, which enters many windows, etc. Rabbi Gamliel said to him, The sun rests upon the entire earth, right? It's just one sun. Despite the multitude of windows, there is but one light. The same holds true even where the light appears differently from place to place. Sunlight shining through stained glass windows of various hues remains nonetheless unchanged, though it takes on the multicolored appearance of the windows, as does also water in a colored glass. Once removed from the glass, it appears in its pristine clarity. And this is an analogy from the Ramak, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, the famous Kabbalist. He said you put water in different colored glasses... The water doesn't change, but its appearance looks different. So too, the various modes in which the light of the Shekhinah is manifested. The light remains the same without any change or division. Any differences in manifestation are attributable only to the way the light is received by the object which it is manifest. So the Shekhinah is one. There is no difference in the Shekhinah. Hashem is a unique oneness like there is none other. Hashem is simply one. What are all these changes? It's the changes in the receivers, depending on how open we are and to what we're doing. The various shades of, of color that, that seem to change the sunlight don't change the sunlight. The sunlight is the same. But depending on the recipient, the light may look different. V'hamaskil yavin, and the intelligent will understand. And as Hasidim would add, the devout will perceive. So yes, these are very, very profound concepts, but the Altar assures that if you spend the time to think through these ideas, you will come to understand it. And Hasidim would always add, it's not just that the intelligent man will understand, but the devout will perceive. It's called an Aved. An Aved is one who works hard to serve Hashem. Somebody who takes the words of the Torah to heart. Take this deeply to your heart. It's like, it reminds me of the analogy Rabbi Manus Friedman gives to explain the difference between Chachma, Bina, and Das. So he said, let's say you're a teacher, right? You're teaching the class, and there's that one student that every time you say this new idea, his eyes light up. You know right away that that kid gets it. Then you have the other student, and this other student, every time you give a new idea, he wonders, how does it apply to this situation? How does it apply to that situation? He's your Bina kid. He's taking the idea and he's applying it to various situations. But then you have that one kid. It's not just that his eyes lights up. It's not just that he's trying to apply it to different situations. He walks out of class and he's not the same kid. He changed. That's your Da'as kid. That's your Ivy. That's the somebody who takes the ideas and it's not like just... Wow, what magnificent ideas. No, these ideas change me. I'm a different person. So we finished chapter 35, and I'm going to do a quick chapter summary. 
and this chapter has really been a, a special trip. It gives us a whole new perspective on just do it. Sometimes you feel it and sometimes you don't feel it. But something very, very special is happening every single time you do a mitzvah. Every time you do a mitzvah, you experience an absorption. Your divine soul experiences total absorption within the divine light. And even your animal soul undergoes some level of transformation every single time you do a mitzvah. There's a story of the Katzka Rebbe. He was traveling to his own Rebbe, Rebbe Simcha Bonim of Peshischa. And on the way, he meets an old friend of his, a childhood friend that was driving in a lavish carriage harnessed to some handsome steeds. And this man, unfortunately, since their childhood, had left the way of the Torah. And he invites the Kutzka Rebbe into his carriage. He said, come, sit with me in my carriage. So he obliges. He comes inside. They sit next to each other. They're talking wisdom. They're talking philosophy. They're talking ethics. And amidst the conversation, the Kutzka Rebbe turns to his childhood friend and asks him, tell me, where is your Eilam Hazah? Where is your this world? And his friend looks at him and he laughs. He goes, ha, ha. What do you mean, where is my Eilam Haza? Don't you see my Eilam Haza? Look at my beautiful carriage. Look at my beautiful horses. You should see my house and my fields. I live like a king. And the Katskareva looks at him and he said, No, this is your Eilam Haba. This is your world to come. But I asked you, where is your Eilam Haza? Where is your this world? And that those words went straight into the man's heart and he became a Baal Tshuva. Now, we could read the story on one way and we could say the Kuskareva was telling him, oh, you're already getting rewarded in this world. Your world to come is right now. What's going to be with you when you get to the next world? But we can read the story in light of this chapter differently. And we can say, okay, you have your Eilam Haba, you have your next world. You have, you're getting rewarded right now. That's fine. But where's your Eilam Haza? Eilam Haza, this world, is a place where we can connect to Hashem, essence to essence, an experience we don't have in any other world. You're wasting your precious time here. You're boasting about your great horse and you live like a king and your lavish lifestyle. That's wonderful. But where's your Eilam Haza? How are you maximizing the opportunities that you have right here, right now in this world to do a mitzvah and to connect with Hashem? So this chapter came to help us understand why the actual performance of mitzvahs are the main focus and purpose and not the service of the heart. Also, to help us understand why did the soul of the Benonim come down to be clothed within an animal soul if they will never be able to refine the essence and substance of their animal soul? Explanation will be understood by prefacing with the Yanuka's explanation on the verse from Kohelas. The wise man's eyes are in his head. The Yanuka explained that the entire focus of the wise man is about the light of the Shekhinah, which rests upon his head. And just as physically, it's not enough to have a wick. We need to have oil as well. So too spiritually, in order for the light of the Shekhinah to rest upon the body, which is in the wick, we need practical fulfillment of the mitzvot to be the oil. Now, the soul itself cannot serve as the oil because it is not in a state of utter nullification and absorption within the light of Hashem. 
The idea of the resting of the Shekhinah is that Hashem is manifest within something. And it is specifically within something that is utterly nullified in existence. Because then, the truth of the divine, that there is nothing else besides Hashem, shines openly within it. Therefore, even the soul of a tzaddik who is attached to Hashem with sublime love and sublime fear does not have the indwelling of the Shekhinah at all because the very fact that he has a feeling of his own indicates that he is a separate existence which is not utterly nullified and subsumed to Hashem. It is specifically through mitzvahs which are not at all connected to a person's feelings but are solely the will of Hashem that there is the absorption of a person's faculties within Hashem's light until they are united with him in total fusion. And in this way, there is the indwelling of the Shekhinah upon a person. Now, in the act of Torah study, the divine soul's garments of thought and speech alone are subsumed within the light of the Ein Sof, the infinite one. However, in order to perform a mitzvah, the divine soul is clothed within the power of the vitalizing soul in order to act upon the body in this way, even the power of the vitalizing soul, which comes from the klipa, is transformed from evil to good and subsumed within holiness, just like the divine soul. And through this absorption of the vitalizing soul's specific power, a ray of Hashem's light is drawn over the totality of the vitalizing soul in an encompassing way and thus automatically over the body itself, which receives its life energy from it. So we finished chapter 35. I'm opening up for questions and discussion. Uh, want to remind you that this is our last Tanya class until after the summer. We're going to miss it so much.